Compelling Words Podcast. The Word of God is meant to move us. It's meant to call us to action. Listen in as Kevin Purdy teaches and presents a genuine and compelling message from the Word of God. A a young mother was, one Saturday morning, she was making some pancakes for her, her two boys, age five and age three. This story resonates with me because my brother and I are about that far apart. And so she was making pancakes for them, and they started arguing about who gets the first pancakes. Because, you know, the, the first pancakes off a hot griddle, they're the best pancakes. And so they were, they were arguing over who gets to have the first pancakes off of the griddle. And mom said, boys, listen. She said, if Jesus was sitting right here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. So the five-year-old turned to his little brother and he said, hey, buddy, you get to be Jesus today. <laughs> we, we smile at a cute little story like that, but we all know, we all know that that struggle, that struggle against our selfishness and that struggle against our sin is very real. We all have that tendency where we just want to lean that way. Um, We also know that Jesus took our sin upon himself on the cross. Um, But today, I, I want to look at the crucifixion again, because Jesus wasn't the only one that was being put to death. And what Jesus says to a criminal dying right next to him is really powerful. So let's read this out of Luke. Luke chapter 23 is verse 32 through 43. Uh, You can follow along in your Bible. You could pull up your phone app, whatever, however you read your Bible today. But Luke 23, verse 32 through 43 says, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching. The rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself, if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up, and they mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, You're the king of the Jews. Save yourself. There was a written notice above him, which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you're under the same sentence, we're punished justly for what we're getting. We're getting what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. There were three crosses that day planted into the hill that they called the skull. Jesus was crucified along with two other men, one on his right, one on his left. Jesus right in the middle. One of those men did the same thing that the crowd did. He did the same thing that the religious leaders did. He did the same thing that the Roman guards did. He mocked, 
he ridiculed and he taunted Jesus. The other man, though, he did something different. He heard the other one speaking these harsh words of criticism against Jesus, and he said to that other man, Don't you fear God? We are punished justly. We're getting what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Now maybe, maybe he knew who Jesus was. Maybe he had kind of known who Jesus was, or maybe not. Maybe he encountered Jesus before. Maybe he stood in the back of a crowd somewhere when Jesus was teaching. Maybe he watched from a distance when Jesus healed somebody or did some other miracle. Maybe he was somewhat aware of who Jesus was because maybe he had kind of been in the background or near Jesus at some other point. Maybe not. I tend to think that this moment is all that he knows. All that he knows is that this man is being crucified next to him and he seems to be someone different. There seems to be something different or special about this man on the middle cross as he's being put to death. Because the guards, the guards are really focused in on him. The crowd, those that are walking by, they seem to be giving him some special attention. And all that everyone is saying about him and everything that is happening to him and then he hears the man in the middle, on the middle cross, he hears that man pray and ask God to forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Maybe in this moment and in this moment alone, he's heard the accusations about who Jesus claims to be. He's read the sign that is posted above Jesus' head. And in his heart, he's desperately hoping that it's true. Maybe it's, what's a dying man going to do? What does a dying man do? He reaches out for help. So he turns his head towards Jesus, gathers his fading strength, and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's really hard to know exactly what this meant. It's really hard to know what did he mean when he asked Jesus this. What was he asking for? All of those who'd been following Jesus, all those many people that had been following Jesus, they felt like Jesus was going to be the one who would lead them out from the Roman occupation, set them free from Rome, and then establish a new kingdom. Did this man on the cross, being crucified, right next to Jesus on the cross, being crucified, did this man think that that was still possible? Did he think that was still possible? Did he think that somehow Jesus could still lead a revolution and still establish a new kingdom? Probably not. Did he understand even more than what the disciples knew? Did he believe that Jesus would defy death? and then rise again three days later? Probably not. More than likely, this was just a simple question, a humble question filled with faith, filled with hope, and filled with trust.
Jesus, I'm not sure about all the details. I'm not sure about all this king and kingdom stuff. I'm not sure what's going to happen after we take our last breath, but I trust you. And whatever is going on, wherever you're going and whatever you're doing, will you remember me? It's like the little boy that was caught on the second floor of a burning building. All he could see was smoke. And there he stood, even at an open door, open window, but all he could see was just the smoke. Flames behind him, just smoke everywhere. But he heard his father's voice calling out to him, Jump! I can see you. Jump! The boy screams out, I can't see you. It's okay, I can see you. Jump! If we can see... If we can see this crucifixion from the perspective of this thief, I kind of think maybe that's how we would see it. The whole thing is chaotic. It's confusing. There's a lot of smoke in the air. And he knows that his life is ending soon. He's desperate. And maybe, just maybe, if he jumps, Jesus will catch him. Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me. Now think about how Jesus could have reacted to this. Think about how Jesus could have reacted when this man looked to him and says this. Jesus could have just kept quiet and not said anything. I mean, think about it. He's kind of going through something. Uh, He's in the process of being executed. There's probably a lot of pain going on. Jesus could have just kept quiet, focused on his own pain, and just kind of tried to get through that moment. He could have ignored the the man, focused on fighting through the pain. He He could have taken a breath. He could have let out a sigh. And he could have said, it's too late now. It's too late now. He could have said, I'm sorry but you haven't had a chance to repent and make up for your sins. Jesus could have questioned him and said, why? Why are you asking me this? Why do you want me to remember you? Jesus could have said, my kingdom's for the righteous, for those who are innocent, not someone guilty. Jesus could have said that, or he could have said anything similar to that. But that's not what he said. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, today, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's pretty amazing. That's really, it's amazing because in that one little sentence, today you'll be with me in paradise. In that one little sentence, there's so much encouragement for us. There's so much that we can learn. One big thing that that little sentence tells us is it assures us that until we take our very last breath, it is never too late. Sometimes we get this impression that all of our opportunities are in the past. We missed our chance. It's too late now. The time has come and the time is gone. I'm too old now. But the truth is, it's never too late to call out to Jesus for help. It's never too late to admit that you need Jesus in your life. It's never too late to realize that you've been on the wrong path. It's never too late to make that change. God's not going to say, where have you been? God's going to say, I've been waiting for you. God is anxiously 
waiting for people to repent and to turn to him. It's never too late. He's waiting. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. There's a story that's told by Jesus. It's a parable that we call the workers in the vineyard. And maybe you remember this story because in the story, a landowner hires some men to work in his vineyard. And he hires some very early in the morning. And then he hires some again at nine in the morning. Then he hires some at noon. He hires some more at three. Even at five o'clock in the afternoon, he still hires a few more. And then evening comes, the work is done, the men are gathered up and they're paid. And they're all paid the very same wage. That didn't go over very well with the guys who were working from early in the morning. Matthew 20, verse 11 through 16. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you've made them equal to us who borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This parable is meant to remind us that the landowner, the one in the story who represents God, he has the right to give whoever, however much he wants to give. It's his money he can distribute it as he so chooses. And he gave everyone exactly what he agreed to give them. The point is made that it doesn't matter when we come to Christ. It doesn't matter when we come to Christ. We can come at a young age when we have a full life ahead of us. We can come years later. We can come even past twilight and later on in life. It doesn't matter when we come to Christ. We just need to come. It doesn't matter when we come to Christ. Salvation is given all the same. Have you ever heard of someone making a deathbed confession? A deathbed confession is when someone is right near the moment of their death and they decide to personally confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. The question always is, well, is that legit? Does that, does that count? The thief on the cross seems to possibly be one example of a deathbed confession. So this parable that Jesus taught and this experience of the thief on the cross seems to give us some assurance that it's possible to live your life apart from Christ and then the, in the last moments of life confess Jesus and give your life to him. It seems to be a very real possibility. But here's the thing. Just because it's possible doesn't make it a good idea. 
Just because it's possible doesn't make it a good idea. Just because it's possible that in the very last breath of your life, you can confess Jesus as Lord and Savior and be saved from your sins, just because that's possible doesn't mean it's a good idea. It's not very wise to risk your eternity and just hope that in the last moments of your life, you will have the time and the ability to confess and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's too risky. It's too risky to say, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to live my life just how I want to live it, and then when I think death is right around the corner, then I'll accept Jesus as my Lord. That's just trying to buy an insurance policy at the last second. It's too risky. The story is told of a famous rabbi who was walking with some of his disciples. One of them asked the question, Rabbi, when should a man repent? The rabbi thought about it and said, a man should be sure to repent on the last day of his life. Several of the disciples protested. But we can never be sure which day is the last day of our life. The rabbi smiled and said, then the answer to the problem is very simple. Repent now. Waiting for your last day is too risky because we don't know when the last day will be. We don't know when that last moment comes. And we don't know what our capacity will be right before that last minute. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. If you don't know where you're going after your last breath, if you need to call out to Jesus and ask him to save you, now is the time. When this thief in his dying moments asked Jesus to remember him, Jesus answered by saying, today you will be with me in paradise. There's nothing. There's nothing that this man is going to do for Jesus. There's nothing he's going to do for Jesus. In a book about this, a man named Arthur Pink said it like this. He said, talking about the man, the thief on the cross, he could not walk in the path of righteousness for there was a nail through either foot. He could not perform any good works for there was a nail through either hand. He could not turn over a new leaf and live a better life, for he was dying. You see, this thief on the cross, he did not live a moral life up to this point, and he would not have the time to live a righteous life after this moment. Yet Jesus extends mercy and forgiveness, and Jesus says, today, not tomorrow, not next week, not sometime yet to come, Jesus says, today you will be with me. Not away from him, not off at a distance, not alone or abandoned. The thief asked Jesus to remember him, and Jesus told him, today you will be with me. Jackie Robinson was the first African-American man to break the race barrier in Major League Baseball. One day he was playing in his home stadium in Brooklyn, and he committed an error. The Dodger fans began to ridicule Jackie with racial slurs. Shortstop Pee Wee Reese, a white man, walked over, put his arm around Jackie, and stared at the crowd. His message was clear. 
Reese wanted everyone to know that Jackie was with him. Robinson was Reese's teammate and friend. Jackie Robinson later on said that that arm around his shoulder saved his career. I wonder if Jesus walked up to that thief later on that day and put his arm around him, looked around and said, he's with me. When Jesus says, you'll be with me, that that means something. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Not somewhere unknown, not some empty void, not some temporary holding place in between what's now and later. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Now that word paradise is a very unique word because it comes from a root word which means garden. It's the same word that was used for the garden of creation, for the garden of Eden. It's not used very much in the Bible, but it's found twice in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul made a reference to it in regards of a vision of heaven. In Revelation 2, the church in Ephesus is told, for those who overcome, they'll have the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. In Revelation 22, the same tree of life is said to be in the heavenly city of God. Paradise, it would seem, is a term that is somewhat synonymous with heaven. It may not be the new heaven and the new earth that later on in Revelation talks about, but it's a blessed place that is in the presence of God right now. You see, heaven is not where we go to see Jesus. Heaven is where we go to be with Jesus. The thief went straight from the cross to paradise to be with Jesus. Death is a little mysterious. It's filled with a lot of uncertainties. But when Jesus said this to this dying thief, Jesus gave three answers to one big question. Jesus answered the question, what happens when we die? Jesus answered the question, when? Jesus answered the question, with who? And Jesus answered the question, where? Jesus Jesus alone has the authority to save. And for those who are in Christ, who have declared that Jesus is Lord and Savior, what happens when we die? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. There were three crosses planted into that Golgotha hill that day. In the middle, Jesus died for our sins. On one cross, a man died in his sin, and paradise was lost. On the other cross, a man died to his sin, and paradise was found. One man rejected Christ, one man received Christ. The question is, do you want to find paradise or do you want to lose paradise? Max Lucado shares a very interesting perspective about these three crosses. Here's what he said. He said, God has given us eternal choices and these choices have eternal consequences. Isn't this the reminder of Calvary's trio? Ever wonder why there were two crosses next to Christ? Why not six or ten? Ever wonder why Jesus was in the center Could it be that the two other crosses on the hill symbolize one of God's greatest gifts, 
the gift of choice. The two criminals were convicted by the same system, condemned to death, equally close to the same Jesus. But one changed and one did not. You've made some bad choices in life, haven't you? You look back and you say, if only I can make up for those bad choices. You can. When one thief on the cross prayed, Jesus loved him enough to save him. When the other one mocked, Jesus loved him enough to let him. He allowed him the choice, and he does the same for you and for me. I don't think Max is stretching this by saying this. I don't think the Lord does anything without intention or with purpose. And I do think that three crosses, Jesus in the middle, one on the right received, one on the, right, one on the other side rejected, I don't think that's coincidental. These criminals on the cross could easily represent you and I because we are guilty of sin. What are we going to do about it? Are we going to reject Jesus, ignore him, mock or ridicule him, or are we going to take notice of the sacrifice that was made and are we going to call out for Jesus to save us? Which sinner are you? Are you the one who remains condemned, an unforgiven sinner, or are you the sinner who has been set free by Jesus? the sinner who is saved. You're, you're a sinner. Are you forgiven or unforgiven? That's the only question. Finally, consider this. These words from Jesus were probably the last words spoken to this man before he took his last breath and died. Now, wouldn't that be so cool? That the very last thing you hear is Jesus saying, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Imagine that kind of peace. Imagine that kind of assurance to know that at death, everything is going to be okay. To know that at death, immediately you're going to be with God in, in paradise. We don't have Jesus standing physically next to us to tell us that we're going to be okay. But we do have his words. We have the words of God. Revelation 14, 13 says, Blessed are those who die in the Lord. Romans 8, 1 says, There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, In Christ we are a new creation. Ephesians 2.13 says, In Christ you were, who were once far off have been brought near through the blood of Christ. All of those verses and so much more in the Bible tells us, it tells us that if we are in Christ and today happens to be the day that we take our last breath, then today we will be with God in Christ paradise. Thanks for listening. Please take a moment to rate this podcast. May the word of God be living and active in your life.